0: Start On Demand demand. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling Friday, I am not in love with gas prices (laughs) You may have noticed yesterday I, I noticed on the way home up to a dollar eleven nine, uh, which made me glad that I filled up the day before at a dollar three 9.
1: which is unusual because I follow, I filled up yesterday at a dollar three nine, and then I went out for coffee last night. Well, I had tea. I don't drink coffee, but I, I went to went for coffee as they say, yep. and noticed it at a dollar and apparently at the gas station. I'm looking at GasBuddy.com right now at the co-op on Gateway. It's still a dollar but it is oh. up to a dollar eleven point nine, uh, predominantly in the south half of the city, but also out in Transcona.
0: Yeah, I noticed yesterday when I when I left after recording the couch potatoes, the uh, the, the there was no price at Canadian Tire. The the the, the sign was out, which that's always me to, a bad sign. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, I bet you the prices are on the they're on the way up. And then sure enough, when I rounded the corner on Nest's and uh, saw the the Shell station there, up to a dollar eleven nine. So. Yuck. Just when I thought they'd gone down last night, I wake up this
1: morning to the news that they're back up. So uh, you will want to shop around a little bit if you're fond of saving a little bit of dough when you're filling up your tank.
0: Meanwhile, yesterday after the show was done at 10 o'clock, we have to thank our our colleague, producer extraordinaire Kyle Milroy. He says, hey, guys, I just put the Jericho Omega match on in the uh, the kitchen, the the jock lounge next to Power 97 if you want to go have a look. He's got an account. With New Japan Pro Wrestling, so he put on Wrestle Kingdom and the, with the main event with Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, both wrestling superstars from Winnipeg, and we went and sat down and actually got to see this match that uh, made international headlines.
1: Okay, be honest. We ran. <laughs> <the junk> <laughs> it was like Christmas morning here yesterday, yep. and I felt like I was 15 years old again, watching wrestling with my old buddy, uh, now the late Doug Skyhar, uh, who was the only guy that I ever watched wrestling with. You heard me ooing and aahing the different moves. You can talk about the scripting. You can talk about the fact that they don't necessarily punch one another when they're wailing upon each other. But that is some sheer, pure athleticism that was on display at that match yesterday. Chris Jericho was 47 years old, flipping around, jumping over the top, just absolutely incredible stuff.
0: Yeah, it uh, it was a great match and that that's one of the things like Chris Jericho's never been the the guy in the with the, the the best physique. He's never been the most explosive wrestler. He's kind of small in comparison to many wrestlers, but he's a great storyteller and that's what when wrestling is done right, it tells a great story. It's not just a display. You can have the two of the, the least athletic guys in the ring, but they can put on one of the best matches if they tell a great story. Yesterday, what we saw, Kenny Omega. I've never seen him before. He's an, an incredible athlete. Sure, he was is. doing some all sorts of stuff. And as you mentioned, Jericho, for at age forty-seven, he was still doing a lot of acrobatic things. And they just put on a show for thirty-six minutes. They did. A, they put on a great match, and uh, I was really impressed with with it, and and good for them for bringing Winnipeg. There was one line where, <laughs> I don't know if you caught this, I where caught it. Don Callis, a.k.a. Cyrus, a.k.a. The Jackal, doing the color commentary, also from Winnipeg, he says, Chris Jericho, uh, uh, <laughs> When did he say something about, he, he's, uh, he's toughened up from the fighting on the mean streets of Winnipeg. And then there was <laughs>
1: another line where he suggested that Omega wasn't even the best wrestler in Winnipeg, let alone in Tokyo. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's
1: right. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks for indulging us on that. We got lots of feedback on our conversation about that yesterday. Uh, Most of it positive, by the way. Uh, So we'll move on from that. Just another example of the things we do amazingly well in Winnipeg. Uh, We are leaders on so many fronts, and uh, I don't think we should shy away from the fact that uh, Winnipeg is one of the hotbeds for uh, wrestling entertainment anywhere on the planet.
0: Can I just also mention, if you want to see the match, go to NJPW. World.com. That's NJPWworld.com I think you pay like 10 bucks and you can see the match
1: It's, it's, it's a thousand yen It's actually 999 yen According to Kyle Milroy Which is good because I just got my Japanese MasterCard
0: And it has a thousand <laughs> yen Limit so it's perfect <laughs> yes. It's about 11 bucks. Okay. It was on YouTube very briefly yesterday.
1: Oh, the whole su- match? Not surprised that obviously it's been pulled down. Yes. Yes. Hey, this headline po- caught both of our attention last night. Brandon Restaurant charging $15 for Bud Light. Now, I have to confess, I figured the third sentence in that story was going to be, former customers were outraged at first, but not surprised that the establishment is now out of business. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I figured that was kind of the story. Like, what are these people doing charging $15 for a $2 beer? Well, what they're doing is they're being very crafty Ooh. in trying to
0: encourage their guests to try Manitoba beer. Yeah, I think this is uh, really interesting. And it, this isn't about, it's not about shaming you for liking Bud Light. It's about trying to encourage you to try a local beer to to help the local economy and to because this restaurant, for example, the Prairie Firehouse, uh, which is in uh, uh, an old fire hall. They, they use all local ingredients, so they're trying to promote local beer. I know just off the top of my head, I remember seeing uh, Torque What the Hellas Lager on their, my their favorite menu. Beer. They had all sorts of beers that I'd never heard of, and, uh, and then they had Bud Light for $15. They have your, your standards like Guinness and Stella, I think I saw, on their menu. Um, and uh, they said that they used to sell like 100 cans of Bud Light, and now they're down to five or six cans a week. People still will pay the fifteen bucks for their Bud Light. Hey, if you like Bud Light, great. It's the Budweiser is the king of beers. But there are you know, I think that there are great alternatives and you might find yourself really enjoying something you never expected to enjoy. If yeah. you try a local
1: beer. Well, good on them for trying this uh, different approach to, you know, economically encourage you to go a different way and to give your taste buds a different experience. Because money does talk for a lot of folks. And uh, for a long time, let's face it, the big breweries have had the advantage, right, of being able to put on specials and to sell their product at a lower price. Price, so this is a good way to flip the script a
0: little bit. Well, and a lot of the big breweries too are are have their own craft beer. For example, you know the in Canada it's sold as Belgian Moon. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Blue Moon in the United States. So I always thought that that was just some little craft oh, yeah. beer. No, it's uh, remember what? Remember Rickard's White? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's Belgian Moon. Oh, I, really? Yeah, it's owned, I think, by Coors. I, I'm not. Sorry, you know what? I'm. I, I let me. I I will add a disclaimer that I'm not certain which of the big breweries owns Belgian Moon but uh, it's not just a little craft beer it's run by one of the big companies
1: Line and kugels you may be uh, familiar with that from going to the United States no okay line and kugel they've got a fantastic logo they're from Wisconsin and when you cr- when you pass into Wisconsin from Minnesota there's a great big giant sign come visit the Line and kugel original brewery and uh, 1867 come visit us blah 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 so back in I guess it was 98 me and my buddy John were on a road trip on our way to Chicago we stop in at this brewery. We're all in love with the idea of Lion and Kugels. Yeah, this is great. And at the very end of the tour, they tell you, back in 1980, Lion and Kugels was purchased by the Miller Brewing Company. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, they, uh, they like to present this facade sometimes of, of their sub-brands uh, being authentic to yeah. a certain extent. You got to do
0: your homework. Brett McGarry and Greg Machlinks, the Shadow Davis Show. Do you take your bike to work, even the icy winter, during the icy winter? Or are you a driver worried about watching for cyclists on narrow streets? Here's Shadow Davis with his thoughts on winter cycling.
2: Good morning. So a couple of days ago, driving home from work with a little bit of snow flying, not a lot, and the temperature hovering around, minus 20, I got stuck behind a cyclist on Wellington Crescent, heading eastbound right around St. Mary's Academy. I quickly recognized it was unsafe to pass him with the conditions and oncoming traffic, so I was left with no choice but to cruise along several meters behind the guy, I was very careful about that, at 10 kilometers per hour waiting for my chance. As the drivers behind me became more and more impatient and now started to beep their horns, and we've all been in a spot like that, right? In your driving mind, common sense safety is at war with not wanting to be the jackass. That's holding up traffic. But before I got the chance to pass this guy, his bicycle suddenly appeared to lose traction, even with his studded winter tires, and he wiped out right in front of me. It was all I could do to stop in time and not run him over. (sighs) Heart racing, I started to get out of the truck to see if this guy was all right, but before I could even get the door open, he was back on the bike and on his way. And he turned off on Kingsway and looked fine, so I didn't bother following him. Two minutes later, I was at home, and on the way up to my apartment, the thought came to me, wow man, your life could have changed so drastically just a couple of minutes ago. And it's true. I could have killed the guy. So I went through everything again. Was I going too fast? No. Couldn't have been. Was I following too closely? I really don't think I was, but maybe I was closer than I should have been. Is this guy a moron for biking in those conditions on a narrowed street thanks to the buildup of ice and snow? Well, probably. So let me ask you, should cycling be allowed in our city in poor winter weather conditions or perhaps made illegal on certain routes deemed too narrow to accommodate winter cyclists and motorists? I put this up on social media the other day and the overwhelming response was, Make it illegal or... Make them ride on the sidewalk or make them have to get insurance, whatever that means. Some avid cyclists even said, listen, man, I love to ride my bike. I ride a lot, but in certain conditions with the way people drive in this town, notice he said the way people drive in this town, better to leave the bike at home and take the car or jump on the bus. And so, after my near life-changing experience the other day, and I mean, I could have killed this guy without having done anything wrong at all. I'd have to concur with the majority here. It should be illegal to cycle in certain winter conditions in Winnipeg or on the narrower city streets. But it shouldn't have to be. It shouldn't. It should be common sense for any cyclist, but some are stubborn and need to prove a point that they should be able to ride their bikes anywhere and anytime they want. But listen, ardent cyclist, until all of those bicycle paths they're working on right now are actually finished. Take it from a guy who almost just had a terrible life-changing experience. Don't take your life in your hands. Please, put the bike away for now and take the bus. You'll be safer. Wait a minute, did I just say you'd be safer on the bus? Now that I think of it, you probably won't be safer on the bus. Start jogging. What about calling a friend for a ride? How about a pogo stick on the sidewalk? Once they clear the sidewalk and you learn how to ride the pogo stick, it'll be safer. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Pogo stick. You remember the pogo ball? Yes. I drove to Grand Forks to get one for my little
1: brother
0: one day. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the pogo ball. I want to ride
3: my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want
1: to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. Hey, Jeff, do you have like a standing appointment every six weeks to get your hair cut or something? No. Because it feels as though you're you're really on top of that.
4: Yeah, I don't like when it gets, especially in winter when it gets long. Because I get to, I wear my tuk all the time, so I get the two hair, right. It's just easier to manage if it's shorter.
1: Well, that's my way of saying I like uh, I Thanks. like the new dude. It was buddy. Uh,
4: three days ago, but whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeff Braun can never take a compliment. He'll be back. We'll be having coffee talking. In uh, about nine to 10 minutes time, Jeff, you're uninvited to that, by (laughs) the way, Uh, we're going to be talking about something was made popular in Australia, but let's take a step back even further, Brett, Uh, over the summer. Uh, last summer, we highlighted an article from the Boston Globe, and the headline was The Biggest Threat Facing Middle-Age Men Isn't Smoking or Obesity, It's Loneliness. And uh, we've had a lot of fun with a lot of different topics over the last year and a half that we've been working together and doing shows together. But this conversation took on a whole new life with a lot of our listeners.
0: It did, and uh, this this what we're going to talk about right now sort of ties into that it's the idea for something called men's sheds and uh, at first glance it might sound like you might even want to chuckle at <laughs> men's sheds that sounds what? Yeah, but it's actually a serious thing and this this the idea started in Australia about a decade ago Doug Mackey was encouraged by his daughter to create the first Canadian shed he did so creating Woodhaven Men's Shed in West Winnipeg. And with more on this, here is Global News reporter Diana Foxhall.
3: Men who retire often don't have much of a life plan after they're done in the workforce.
5: The number of, of older people and older men specifically is growing here in Canada. And men are looking for things to do, to go and see and how to hang out and all of that kind of thing. It, it improves their emotional well-being. Men's
3: sheds are being presented as a solution. They're places men can meet up regularly without obligations that provide an opportunity to socialize, be creative, and build camaraderie.
5: The difference between men's sheds and a service club is a service club says you must attend. There are probably uh, fundraising things that they have to do. And then it goes on from there. And that hierarchy is a top-down hierarchy. But service clubs like that are dying off.
3: Unlike pretty much anything else, men's sheds are whatever the men want them to be. For example, Doug's local shed sees the fellows meeting Tuesdays and Wednesdays for coffee, for crafts and for friendly chats. Nothing is taught, but the wide variety of skills the men bring to the table means there's something for every man who comes in.
5: Some of the men do cottonwood bark carving or stained glass and making ornaments and things like that or making a diamond willow walking stick. We have lots of diamond willow here in Manitoba so we can get hold of the raw product and go ahead and do those things. Those men simply come in and because we don't have a teacher or a leader, we find that men mentor other men and show them how to do it and help them along with their projects. The second part of it for instance is we do projects out within the community in this past year we built seven picnic tables for camp manitou and we worked with lee valley and made uh, bird houses they had a project to make 900 bird houses for canada 150th and so we went and made a number of bird houses and birdhouse kits some of those kits were used interestingly enough and that there was a day camp going on here at the Woodhaven Community Club and I went to them and said do you have a couple of young boys who would like to build a birdhouse well you should have seen the five young lads come they came and it was like having 10 grandpas sit down with them and help them build a birdhouse it was fantastic.
3: So does he reach out to the organizations or vice versa?
5: Well interesting enough this past week I've reached out one way or another to the Manitoba stroke recovery group, and they are over in St. Boniface, and I found that they needed some art supplies. Well, one of our our good women in this area passed away, she was an artist, I was able to collect some of her art supplies and take them to the stroke recovery team here in Manitoba. So we reach out and we're going to work with them. We're going to make them about 15 diamond willow canes which they can then use for their clients or they can auction them off or whatever else they want to do.
3: And for those concerned about the single-sex nature of men sheds, fear
5: not. People challenge us. They say, why men only? Or, is this men only? Or, what do you need this for? And so we answer it by simply saying, many men want to hang out with men, okay? And so there's a whole advantage there. The second thing is, you can do lots of things alone. But being able to do things shoulder to shoulder, because men don't necessarily act well like this. They like sitting beside each other where you're less threatening, but doing it shoulder to shoulder that men start to to talk. Countless
3: friendships have been born at Woodhaven Men's Shed. And more will come now as a new shed is formed in Transcona. Doug will be speaking on behalf of the shed at City Hall next week as they shore up their new location. And for any man wishing to get involved in either group, he encourages them to simply come out and see what it's all about.
1: Thank you, Diana. Diana Foxall, Global News, talking about men's sheds. And uh, Doug was talking about how he often gets asked, you know, what's the deal with the men-only thing? Well, dudes aren't great at sharing their feelings and setting up a group like this, as he says does foster friendships and it's mandatory that we find other guys to talk to and share our feelings with, you know, I don't know if we need to start a book club or wine club or what have you, but I think I mentioned this to you the last time we spoke about this, Brett, I know even sometimes I'll I'll be in a situation where I don't have anybody to go to the hockey game with. Yep. And I have lots of people in my contacts list Uh, But with how busy everyone is, with their obligations, with work and extracurricular activities with their kids, it's sometimes even someone, you know, who's a friend just to spend that three or four hours with, it's sometimes difficult to make that connection. I think it's like working out. You need to block out a certain amount of time over a certain period of time to make a commitment to do certain things. And I think this should be on the list of things for men to do, and that's to have kind of... Almost like a date night with their buddies,
0: well, and I, in fact, this Sunday, uh, a friend of mine said, "Hey, uh, he could, we were talking about Star Wars ranking the Star Wars movies. And he says that he wanted to go see the Last Jedi again. Um, he loves going to see the Star Wars movies with his little girl. Which I think is tremendous that sure. he, he that he's been able to form this bond with his little girl, but he said it'd be nice to see the movie again where you know my kid doesn't have to go pee six times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he said, "Do you want to do you want to go see it again?" And I said, "Well." Okay. And then I sort of thought about it and I thought, well, I've already seen it twice, do I need to see it again? But then I started to think, well, I haven't seen him in a while and I've got stuff to tell him and it'd be nice to hear. Yeah, okay. So the movie is just kind of a conduit to spend time with a friend I haven't seen in a few months. So Mm -hmm. it's important. Today we are having coffee and talking about having a place to go in our lives. And, uh, you know, what, Greg, actually, I'm gonna, normally we start, go this way or go around the table this way, uh, because you were talking about the hockey and having to find time. Right. So when you encounter that kind of a situation, how do you solve that problem?
1: Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I, I'll end up taking one of my kids to the game, which is, you know, is not always a fallback position. When uh, we get our allotment of uh, Jets tickets, you know, we go through the schedule and decide, oh, this is a perfect game for kids. And so my kids kind of alternate, but sometimes I end up taking my kids like I've got tickets to the game tonight. I don't really know who I'm going with tonight, and sometimes it ends up being that fallback position where I end up going with one of the boys, and I don't mean one of my boys; I mean one of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I should figure that <laughs> I should be hanging with one of my boys, right? And yeah. just uh, talking about things and having honest uh, conversations about tonight. stuff. Sorry. I don't do that to me. I've invited <laughs> you before and I've invited you, you too, McGarry. So you, you didn't
4: invite me, you just gave me tickets once. Oh that yeah. you're welcome for that. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Jerry Shanley and I have never been invited. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: Um, so th- <laughs> that's the point, though. Fine, you can't come to my shed. <laughs> <laughs> the point is it's critical. The point is yeah. it's critical, right? Kelly, uh, you know, you, do you struggle with this? No,
6: not at all. I don't need to have anything more in my life than what I've got going right now. Um, But I could see, though, like if, if I was retired and I wasn't working all the time, and if I didn't have grandkids and, and that sort of thing, then maybe it would be different. But that's enough for me in my life. I don't uh, I don't need anything more beyond that. So
1: I know a lot of retired guys will do like uh, breakfast every yeah, day or yeah. that sort of thing. Like, go to a coffee shop yeah, and at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's like, did, does anybody have a job in like, <laughs> Winnipeg? And it's always men. It's not women hanging out in coffee shops yakking. Yeah. It's guys. And when
6: I get to that point in my life, I'll probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Get get together with buddies, uh, you know, uh, go to a different place for breakfast all the time, and uh, solve all the problems of the world, or create more.
0: Now, Shannelly, do you have what? Do you have a spot where you can go to find uh, kindred spirits, uh, or do you ever find yourself kind of thinking, well, you know what? I need to." I need to to find some companionship outside of my work relationships and my boyfriend,
7: uh, feeling a little bit more like that lately because I know when I f- first moved back to Winnipeg it was it was pretty terrible because it felt very cold, like friendship wise. Um, it didn't feel very welcoming to me, even though this is a city I lived most of my life. and then i I got involved in roller derby. and it wasn't so much about the sport. it was about um. Creating those relationships with people and having somewhere to go and and uh, getting out of my shell, which was a, a big thing for me. And now that we lost our winter venue, uh, we we no longer we only have a summer venue now, like to put on games. So it's been really hard for us we don't have a place for the officials to, to do scrimmages. So it's, it's a lot harder for us to get together. So I'm, I'm really finding that missing from, from my life. And, and so now I uh, whenever I see like an event I want to go to or something coming up, I kind of what I'm trying to do now is I go through my list of friends and like, okay, I saw this friend last month. Let's let's go see this friend now. And so I'm trying to kind of go through the list, but I'm finding it a lot more difficult now. They don't have somewhere to go on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, I could see that. That would be difficult. And Brett, I know you have a really kind of that solid network of friends. Uh, you have a chat group that's consistently going. And, oh, I, and I bailed out of that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Too much, too was, much sports? It,
0: no, it was just too much. It was constant. <laughs> I, you know, I, I knew that they were always talking. Like, I knew that if my phone was on, there would be something for me to read, and I just I, I couldn't handle the anxiety anymore of being tethered to this chat room. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> but, but you make this a commitment, right? What's that? Uh, mm. To be, to have friends? Yeah, well, it, I have to, because I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have children, so it's, I don't have pets, yeah. you know, I can't even go home to, to a cat, um, you know, <laughs> my sister has my, you know, I used to have, but no, the point, so the point is, if I don't go out of my way to, to maintain my friendships, then I will go crazy, I will uh, succumb to loneliness, uh, there are times where, you know, I'll be, I'll just be out for a walk and I'll, I'll walk by the Grove at uh, Grosvenor and Stafford and I'll on like random days and think this place is full. Like don't at two in the afternoon on a Wednesday, people are out having a drink and I think, well... I wish I had somebody to, to spend time with right now, but everybody's at work or they're with their kids or they're with their wives or whatever. So
6: just walk in and say, hey,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm the McGarry of Matthew. No,
6: no, come on I and
1: sit down. I, I
7: find that's, that's when you feel the loneliness the most. Like, I'm not lonely when I'm at home, when I'm by myself, I'm not lonely. But when I'm out in public and I'm around other people and see how they're having fun and interacting with each other, that's when I feel so lonely, right? That's because, interesting. Yeah.
0: That's a good point. It is a good point because you see, you kind of look, you look around and you think, well, am I missing something in my life? Because you're right. When I'm at home and I'm relaxing, I'm fine. Or when I'm at the golf course on a, on a day where I'm by myself, I'm fine. But there are other times where I kind of wonder if I'm doing
4: life wrong. What about you, Jeff? What uh, i got lots of friends. There's Ross and Joey and Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, my apartment has long been sort of the de facto men's shed for my friends. And I'll even have buddies' wives text me and say, hey, this guy needs to do something Friday night. You should invite him out. And I was like, all right. Because I've always, uh, you know, I got time, right? So, so yeah, a lot of our friends will text me. He's like, hey, I was just uh, in your neighborhood. I got a six-pack of beer. You got... Can I come drink it at your house? I'm like, come on down. <laughs> I don't want to go home yet. Can is, I go to your house? Is there a host? cover charge at your <laughs> yeah, place? Exactly. I think you no, should be charging
1: one. Hey, Jerry, we know all you do is work, but yeah. what about you?
2: Uh, you know, I, I, I think I might just be an antisocial kind of a person. I'm actually content just to, to, to you know, be by myself. Like what, when I do have time, when I'm when I'm not with Sarah, I'm not working, I actually like my my time by myself. That is that is the time when I get to re, regroup and 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 uh, figure things out.
0: Well, the, we can't you know underestimate the importance of solitude. We, there are t- we all need to have alone time. I think the the problem though is if you have too much alone time, that's where you yeah. can start to to you start go wild. We're,
6: we're all different too. Some of us need to be around people. Others of us, like Jerry, and I'll put myself in that group. Like. The alone time. Scott, Especially when I'm watching sports. Yeah, but it's
7: good to see people once <laughs> while, so you, so you don't forget how to socialize.
6: No, that's, that's critical. Scott wants to
1: know if he needs to drop off a couple kittens here at 680 CJ.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Scott.
1: The Canadian Mixed Double Olympic Curling Trials are in the tiebreaker process starting this morning. They will wrap up Sunday afternoon with the winning team representing Canada at the Olympics in Pyeongchang. South Korea, Winnipeg's curling legend Jeff Stoughton is the national coach for Mixed Doubles. He joins us from Portage-la-Prairie. Now, good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, we're doing really well. We know you've been super busy out there in Portage-la-Prairie pulling multiple duties on a different uh, tasks out there. So we appreciate you making the time for us today. Just one tiebreaker this morning. Were you anticipating more uh, teams being uh, locked up at this point in time? Uh,
8: yeah, yes and no. I mean, I there's always a chance for a little bit more, but uh, one tiebreaker is not the end of the world. So 8.30 this morning, they'll be uh, out there trying to qualify for the final week.
1: Chelsea Carey and Colin Hodgson, along with Nancy Martin and uh, Caitlin Schneider. They will face off in that tiebreaker at 830. And then that sets up the playoff round and tell us how the playoffs work. And obviously uh, here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, we're we're more interested or as interested as we are in any other teams. And Jennifer Jones and the Mark Nichols combination, Caitlin Laws and John Morris, who have uh, already uh, qualified for the playoffs.
8: Yeah, so basically it's, it should be something very familiar to all our Manitoba fans. It's it's basically the same playoff format that we run at the Manitoba Provincial Playdowns. So we have eight qualifiers right now. Um, they'll play off a, a double knockout basically to get to our final four, which will be a page playoff, which everyone sees on TV these days. So these teams have uh, you know two chances to try and get to that final four, and then it's uh, well, the page playoff system where – if you win that one-two game, you're in the final, and then you go down to a semifinal. So, pretty exciting. We've been uh, really making these teams curl a ton of games. All of these teams just played eight eight games in the last three days. So it's been go go go. And uh, I can't tell you uh, enough how much we appreciate all the fan support and the volunteers out here in Portage and Canadians for being our major sponsor. So it's been uh, quite an eventful last three days with tons of curling and. uh, the atmosphere in the building is just getting bigger and bigger, so we're looking forward to great crowds on the weekend and tonight.
1: Yeah, my wife and my mother in law and my boys are out there. They were there last night, and my boys just think that this is the coolest version of curling ever. So maybe walk us through it really quick before we <laughs> let you go, Jeff.
8: Yeah, no problem. I mean, obviously it's mixed double, so it's one male, one female. The biggest difference is um, it's only eight ends, you get 22 minutes of thinking time. The person who throws the first rock also just throws the last rock at the end. So there's only five rocks thrown, so it's really quick. Uh, the other person throws two, three, four. There's stationary rocks in play. I guess the best way to put it, it's pretty fast and furious. There's uh, sort of a race to the button. There's tons of angles and raises and multiple rocks within the four-foot area. So it's just lots of action. No downtime really at all. It's it's over in about an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. So these teams... Uh, Got to be ready to play right from the get-go.
1: Tickets at the door and uh, coverage on CBC TV starting tonight, Jeff. Thanks for this. Oh, no problem. You guys have a great day. You too. Jeff Stoughton, he's the national coach for mixed doubles, the Olympic team process, the selection process, the playdown. So we'll wrap up on Sunday and a couple of Manitoba teams in the hunt. Richardson getting better on that recorder every week. <laughs> it's a Shadow Davis Show. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry. And we are joined in studio by the other couch potato. I'm on the couch. I'm right in the middle cushion here. This is one's kind of solid because nobody really sits here. You guys have but there's the no saggy ones on the arm. That's okay. That's I like the the firm cushion in the middle here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, you, if this were a television commercial, you'd be the the one in the middle where all the three all the guys are all lined up together like they're yeah oh, yeah this is how we would sit normally in a non televised environment and of course
1: that that is not true at all <laughs> yeah. you'll never sit on that middle cushion just never gets
0: used No, I'd nope. rather sit on the floor than in the middle cushion <laughs> it's so. like
1: it's worse than the middle seat. On the, on the airplane. It At is. least there's armrests in the yeah. middle, middle of the sure. airplane. Anyway, uh, what's going on in uh, the movies this weekend? I know we've got Golden Globes coming up on Sunday. Maybe we'll talk a bit about, a, a bit about that. But what's happening in the movie well, world?
0: Well, you know what? Let's mostly talk about that because the, there's one film, one major film opening this weekend, and uh, I'll just play this. It's just dread. It's just, it's a scary movie. It's called Insidious. The last key, but I won't subject Jeff Braun to any of yeah. the scary clips. It's just unnecessary. Sk- there have been. This is the fourth movie in this franchise. I've not watched any of them, um, but. Uh, In this one, parapsychologist Elise Rainier continues to fight evil as it targets her family. And she has to go deeper into the further, I don't know. It looks scary. If you're into scary movies, it's probably okay. It's not getting the best reviews. And one review I saw said, this is what a franchise looks like when it's run out of gas. On just a very quick uh, side note as well, Greg. Yes. Uh, An interesting trend on the The first weekend of the new year outside of New Year's has had, has featured a, a horror movie since 2005.
1: Isn't that? It's all calculated, right? They know these trends.
0: It's just become a. It's, yeah, it's become the thing to do to open the year with a crappy horror movie.
1: Well, maybe the good <laughs> news is in the title itself. Insidious, the last key. Maybe that means this is the last one. They're
4: declaring it now. Yeah, hold it will hoping. depend entirely on how much money it makes.
0: Yeah, because they're so cheap to make, they make them on shoestring budgets and. They If they get make even 10 million bucks, usually that's enough for them to go, well, let's do another one. Why not?
1: Fair enough. So that's it for a movie. So really we want to talk about the celebration of entertainment in the last 12 months. Fair?
0: The Golden Globes. So Jeff Braun, best motion picture drama nominees are Call Me By Your Name. Hasn't opened yet. Dunkirk, The which is on Blu-ray. The Post. Hasn't opened yet. The Shape of Water. Playing now. And three
4: billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Maybe still playing now. Has played already for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, it has played already. Call me by your name. Just play it. Open limited. Does that even have any plans for wide release? Or
4: I don't know because that's a really sort of small independent movie. So it. I think it it will open probably like a grand park eventually. Yeah, I would imagine certainly once the Oscar nomination comes out because apparently it's one of the front runners. Yeah, I don't remember it uh, it playing
0: anywhere. I yeah. tried to keep an eye on it, but three uh, three billboards I checked, it's not playing anywhere in Winnipeg. It already finished its run, I guess. So we may see it come back. Yeah.
4: Uh, but do you have any predictions out of that? Um. Yeah, I think well, the smart money would have to be on the post. How, could it, how can you go wrong with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks in a Steven Spielberg movie are you kidding they me This should just like give them all the awards right now with
1: <laughs> it's sight like a, unseen this is like New <laughs> England Patriots of movie making here yeah seriously Hank <laughs> Streep and Spielberg I know it's Oop. a dream team I don't even have to see it I, I'm betting all my money on anything <laughs> they're nominated for yeah when you
0: and actually when you think about it in, in that sort of context it kind of reminds me of the, the the dream team that went to play in the Olympics the basketball team yeah <laughs> Barcelona yeah where, where it was just you, you look at the the talent and you go, that's like, th- as far as Hollywood is concerned, that is royalty all across the board there. And
4: the Golden Globes are not shy about just sucking up to stuff like, you know what I mean? Like they will, the Oscars might not give them all the awards because they don't mind shutting Spielberg down because they do it all right, the time. Right. But the Golden Globes are notorious for just whatever seems like the biggest splashiest well, thing is going to Well, Hollywood
1: Foreign Press, right? It's like a handful of people. Is it 24 or 38 people? It's less than 100. Yeah. 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 Anyway. We digress. Best uh, motion picture, musical or comedy. Brett, why don't you run down the nominees in this one? The
0: Disaster, Get Out, The Greatest Showman, I, Tanya, Lady Bird, Disaster Artist. Uh, I'm not. I think it is still playing. Yeah. Get Out is has uh, been available on Blu-ray for almost a year already. Yeah. Uh it's probably. Is it on Netflix? That. Get
4: out! I th- if it's it, m- not, it has it's been. coming
1: to Movie yeah. Central or something similar. I saw it on an the, ad.
4: The Greatest Showman—that's a Hugh Jackman one, where he's P.T. Barnum. That's in theaters right now. Lady Bird is probably still in theaters right now, and I don't know that I Tanya has opened. That's the Tanya Harding one. Yeah, that opens. Uh, is it? Do we do we have that in our preview? I don't know. I think it was like a limited release okay. in December. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that I think that one is uh, is opening wide soon. Um, I've seen three of them. They're all great. The Disaster Artist, Get Out, and Lady Bird. I would, I would hand the award to Lady Bird if I was them.
0: Yeah, and I think that there I've seen a number of predictions uh, pointing to Lady Bird as well. Let's we'll just quickly go through the best TV series drama. The Crown, Game of Thrones,
4: Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, and This Is Us. What do you think, Jeff? Stranger Things won last year, right? Did it? I think so. Oh. And then the Handmaid's Tale won the Emmy. You gotta give it to This Is Us. Nah, I don't think so. Network, come on. I would think Game of Thrones or the Handmaid's something.
0: Tale. Yeah, I, I I I do like I like This Is Us, but I think it's probably gonna go to uh, the Handmaid's Tale. Wow. Um, well, there's a
1: little bit of a Canadian connection there, so maybe we'll vote for that or cheer for that.
0: And then best TV series, musical, or comedy blackish. Which I've never watched. Which is I great. I know you like it love, it. love it. Marvelous Mrs. Mizell. Am I even saying that properly? I never heard
4: of it until two weeks ago. Is that
0: an Amazon show? I don't know. I don't know. Even know what that is. Master of None. That's Excellent. a good
4: Netflix show. Yep. Yeah.
0: Smilf. Which yeah. Uh, yeah. which is, uh, I think that aired on the Movie Network. Um, what does Smilf mean, Brett? I actually don't know. <laughs> And then uh don't, Ubo, don't we can't guess say it not, not on the air. Don't 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 guess. And then uh, Will and Grace, oddly enough, I I I think Will and Grace could actually take this award. So yeah, but apparently this smilf is very good. That That's available for, I think you can watch it on Crave TV if you didn't
4: catch it. On, come, uh, no. no Bojack. I was just sort of watching Bojack Horseman. I know <laughs> that's, that's one so of your favorites.
1: It's so good. <laughs> it's so good.
4: The humor is so subtle and so brilliant all at once. And, yeah.
1: you know, Will Arnett is sexy just as even a cartoon horse. Something <laughs> about that Will Arnett, I got to tell you. I'm Greg, he's Brett. It is the Shadow Davis Show. Senator Lynn Bayak, who sparked outcry by declaring some good, quote-unquote, came out of Canada's residential schools, has been removed from the Conservative Party caucus.
0: Here's Shadow Davis.
2: Good morning. Some news today about something we rarely hear about, a politician being kicked out of caucus. Yes, it happens from time to time, but it usually takes a lot. For example, it happened right here in Manitoba. Recently, MLA Stephen Fletcher was kicked out of caucus for continuous public quarrels with the government, and it didn't happen overnight either, it took some time. But finally, Pallister decided he had to go. Most public leaders are loath to do it because it shows a lack of unity in their party, and they don't like that. And those who finally do get kicked out will stick to their guns, even to the point of stupidity, until they eventually fade from the public eye this brings us to the case of former conservative senator now just senator lynn bayak from dryden ontario who for years has been touting the message that residential schools weren't that bad she's highly critical of the findings of the truth and reconciliation commission that found the system was plagued with systematic physical mental and sexual abuse and directly resulted in the death of 6,000 children from malnutrition and disease, not to mention being involuntarily ripped away from their homes in the first place. Bayak said those findings overshadowed the good deeds of well-intentioned residential school workers. She's been called on to resign several times for praising a system that amounted to, as defined by the United Nations, cultural genocide. Bayak has refused. So yesterday, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer had no choice but to kick her out of his caucus. Scheer hasn't spoken to media just yet, but he released a statement saying he learned on Tuesday that Bayak had posted approximately 100 letters on her parliamentary website from various Canadians in support of her position on residential schools. He asked her to remove one of the letters that suggested Indigenous peoples want to get things for nothing, and she refused. Here's the rest. Promoting this comment is offensive and unacceptable for a Conservative parliamentarian. To suggest that Indigenous Canadians are lazy compared to other Canadians is simply racist. As a result of her action, Senate Leader Larry Smith and I removed Senator Bayak from the Conservative National Caucus. Can you believe, and this is serious, can you believe she used to be on the Senate's Committee for Aboriginal Peoples? Well, she was. But she was removed from that committee by former Interim Conservative leader Rona Ambrose last April 5th after her speech about residential schools not being that bad. Then in August, she was at it again with another statement saying, Let's stop the guilt and blame and find a way to live together and share. Trade your status card for a Canadian citizenship with a fair negotiated payout to each Indigenous man, woman and child in Canada to settle all the outstanding land claims and treaties and move forward together. All Canadians are then free to preserve their cultures in their own communities, on their own time, with their own dime. Oof. Well, I suppose she didn't realize that Indigenous people are already, in fact, Canadian citizens and have been for 60 or so years. She's also attacked criticism of her statements, by the way, as... The fake news. It's fake. Phony. Fake. Can the Senate remove her? It's difficult for a senator to be removed, according to Ned Franks, who's the emeritus political science prof at Queen's University in Kingston. The Senate does have the power to turf a senator from the chamber with a majority vote, but it's never been done before in the history of Canada. Mike Duffy, Pamela Wallen and Patrick Brazzo, for example, were all suspended by the Senate but not expelled and remain independent senators to this day. See? It takes a lot. Back to Mackling and McGarry.
1: takes a lot to get rid of a senator. Who knew? We're watching a bunch of other stories this morning. Thank you, Shadow. Uh, that ambulance lineup at St. B. Clarification coming yesterday from the WRHA. We're on the eve of Ukrainian Christmas. We've been talking about men sheds and the benefits to uh, men and, and women who uh, make sure that they have time uh, for their compatriots. And another story that's really
0: caught our attention since last night, Brett. Brandon Restaurant has people talking about it's pricing strategy for one of North America's most popular beers. Prairie Firehouse is charging 15 bucks for Bud Light, a single serving of Bud Light, $15. This is an effort to encourage its guests to try craft beer, or local craft beer. So we decided to reach out to a local beer expert to get his thoughts on this tactic. Sean Branson is here. He wears many hats. He is the organizer of the first ever Winnipeg Beer Festival. He's at Promenade Cafe and Wine, Provisions Market and Cafe, does stuff at Fort Gibraltar, and he's one of our favorite guests when it comes to talking about beer and food. And uh, hello there, Sean. Hi, how are you? Doing hey, well, sir. How are you?
1: Excellent, thank you. So you've been up uh, since the wee hours, or were you up until the late hours last night, Sean? Yeah, I was up all night drinking fifteen dollars beers. It's,
9: uh, it's uh, you know I had to experience it for myself. So no, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> so what do you think of uh, of this story? This idea of increasing the price of of what's one of the most popular beers anywhere, and uh, putting it on a menu uh, next to six and six and a half dollar locally crafted microbrew beer.
9: Well, it's certainly a different approach. It's great to support local. We we always uh, support local in the restaurants that my wife and I run and uh, certainly the Winnipeg Beer Fest as well. But uh, we had, I had something like this at Beaujolais Restaurant where I had uh, Wolf Blast Yellow Label. It was the number four selling item in all of the province. And I had a choice to either, I really wanted to introduce people to other things. So, uh, but I did a bit of a different approach than than the $15 uh, sort of approach, but it's it's a unique approach for sure.
1: What was the approach that you took with the Wolf Blast? Because I served tables for a long time. I probably opened a thousand bottles of Wolf Blast Yellow Label over the years. Exactly. It was when I was
9: building um, a Wine Spectre award-winning um, list at Beaujolais, and, and we had so many people, Wolf Plus Yellow label, that they, had, that they would just order so many of them. So I had another uh, wine, the Wins Cunawara Cabernet Sauvignon, which was a superior product from a single location. It, it was great, but I priced it under the Wolf Plus Yellow label. I increased it a little bit. But I gave a really good value with with that, and and led people to say, well, you can have the yellow label, but why don't you try this really unique one that is superior product for a lower price? So it's a lot of a different angle. I never thought of charging $150 for the yellow label, but uh, <laughs> you know, it certainly is a different approach.
1: You probably wish you'd thought of it now.
9: Well, it, I think. Uh, this certainly creates a story, it creates a buzz about the restaurant, a great sort of, I, I think a, a good play for social media. And uh, certainly we're talking about it today. So we have a little bit less uh, marketing uh, opportunities like, like we do today and that sort of thing.
0: And Sean, uh, you know, I'm, I love local beer. I love craft beer, but uh, I have a lot of friends who like Bud Light. And, uh, you know, is this kind of thing, does it, does it create any danger of sort of, of shaming people or, or, or creating a kind of culture of beer snobbery.
9: Well, it's it's hard to say which way it's going to go. We, I, I do believe that we need to support our, these local Manitobans and, and people that are creating things uh, in our province, in our in our city. Uh, you know that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of these other companies are quite large. Uh, Uh, We kind of lost our uh, local flair when uh, uh, Molson moved out and basically all we are is just uh, we're not producing any beers anymore for the longest time. So it's great that there's all these local producers creating superior product, I feel. Sorry, sorry, uh, you know, all this mass-produced stuff, but it's good. It pushes people out of their safety zone, out of their Wolf Blast Yellow Label area.
1: Now, some people might suggest the best way to support the local would be to the, to lower the price of it to make it more attractive. Uh, as an operator, what's your what's your position on, on that point of view?
9: Well, it even goes back to once again the yellow label sort of uh, idea. Like uh, I remember Wolf Blass yellow label; it's, it was uh, something that was. 11 bucks a bottle and that's what I remembered as. I think it's like nine, it's now $22. People remember what beer prices are. The thing is, beer prices have increased tremendously. A regular beer is at the, you know, to pick it up is, is $2. I still remember when you used to be able to go to the restaurants and get a beer for $2 on special, but uh, prices have really increased and if you were to lo- lower the prices, you'd you have to hit certain margins to be able to pay rent. That's the bottom line. So, it's an interesting approach with doing the fifteen dollars thing, then just rather than taking it right off their list.
0: And why? One final question then: Why do you, why bother charging fifteen bucks? Why not just take Bud Light off the menu? People
9: want it. Um, people, you know, they just order it right away. I guess it's the way if they if they did it as a way to to not. If they wouldn't tell the client or present that menu and just charge $15, I think that would be a bad way of approaching it. And they said, well, just to let you know, you can have it, but it's $15, and I'd recommend this. just depends on how they approach it. If it's a, a bait-and-switch kind of thing or they just order it, pe- people will get upset and get angry. But they need to be very upfront that they don't want to be selling these beers anymore and this is how they're doing it. So we just have to be careful. The yeah. servers really have to be careful with this.
1: Servers romancing the right product and also being uh, informative in terms of when they're taking those orders and and letting people know, hey, yeah. this is this is this is our way of thinking here. This is our strategy. We want to let you know, hey Sean, we could talk to you for an hour every single time we have you on. We'll we'll do this again real soon, okay? Sounds
9: great. Thanks,
0: guys. All right. Sean Branson with Promenade Cafe and Wine, Provision Market and Cafe, for Gibraltar, Winnipeg Beer Fest, and on and on.
10: One, two, three.
0: Right now, it is time for three things with Chanelie Vidal. Three things to look forward to this weekend. Hello, Chanelie.
7: Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday, SLV.
7: And uh, so happy, happy, actually, lunchtime for us.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Because it
7: is 8 o'clock. So for our, our first thing, it's kind of like two things in one. So Come From Away had its uh, Winnipeg premiere yesterday at the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Did you go? Oh, I, I didn't go. I'm actually going next weekend, though. And that's the musical um, that's just sweeping Broadway about airline passengers stranded Gander, Newfoundland in the wake of the 9-11. It's been nominated for a Grammy, and we're actually going to have the creators of the musical. It's a husband and wife team. They're going to be on the show uh, about 930 this this morning excited about so that. So exciting and so you can look forward to that if you got tickets because uh, you're definitely definitely gonna look forward to that now the operative word being the if because the month-long run has been sold out and they actually added the other uh, another show and it's sold out right away mm-hmm. so if you don't have tickets for that don't worry I got you covered so you can check out another musical for this weekend this one's a good one
11: solve a problem like Maria? How do you
8: catch a cloud and pin it down?
7: Love that song. How it's a great song. A Sound of Music. Funny. It's going to be at the Centennial Concert Hall this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for five shows. Not.
1: It's a lot of shows. It's a lot of shows
7: because they have <laughs> afternoon shows on the Saturday and Sunday. Got it. And that Rodgers and Hammerstein musical has been around for more than 50 years. And if you've not seen it, you don't know what you're missing because it's, you know, it's something like my family sat down and watched the uh, the movie many, many years ago. We all loved it. And that's pretty rare because usually one of us hates something.
1: Yeah. For a lot of people, it's a, <laughs> a New Year's Eve or a Christmas Eve and, and, or Christmas Day tradition or, or for
7: a lot an of Easter people. Or Easter tradition. Right? Sure. And it's a true story of the, the singing Von Trapp family, Maria, the young, Dunn, who is said to be the family's governess in, in uh, during World War II in uh, Austria, I believe. So you can still get tickets. I did check. There's not too many left. Oh, really? Yeah. but uh, there's, So there's only a few, but if you're interested, get your tickets right away.
1: Okay. Doesn't Sound surprise amazing. me, actually.
7: So number two... This is something that I actually didn't uh, didn't know about until uh, until I guess Kelly brought it up this morning. So the Jets are doing a home game tonight uh, against the Buffalo Sabers. That's right. Okay, seven o'clock. Correct. Okay, now brace yourself because. What? In Buffalo, the World Juniors gold medal game is tonight with Canada versus Sweden at seven o'clock.
1: That's uh, going to be so a difficult choice for some people. It's going to be
7: a difficult choice, a good choice. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have.
1: Certainly, it is.
7: So here's the solution: you go, what? you go to the Jets game, sure, and then you you do both. You follow the uh, you the, follow the gold medal game on your phone. You, you you try and watch it on your phone. You 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 you, know, yeah, you get the yeah. both best of both worlds. I know it's it's I know it's.
0: Well, Greg does this anyway when he goes to the Jets (laughs) games. He's always got his Twitter on. Uh, So, yeah. How
1: do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not a bad. That's not a bad Good good
7: compromise. I mean, you're not going to get the full experience, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. But that's, I think, a nice compromise. Well, if
1: you want to know what happened in actuality, and good luck sequestering. You know, you're not going to sequester yourself from not knowing what happened in one or the other game. So you got to go to the live one and you know get the live updates or watch them both on TV. I suppose exactly.
7: Go out and enjoy yourself and socialize with other people.
1: I like the way you're thinking.
7: So now the third thing is something that uh, you guys were talking about in the past hour with Jeff Braun. Of course, the Golden Globes, the Sunday night, the 75th Golden Globes, I believe, hosted by Seth Meyers. And it's funny because, yeah, a lot of the nominees are for films that, that actually haven't even been released weird. yet. Very, Very weird. Very weird. So I guess it's more of a, this is a film, you watch it to see films you might want to check out rather than rooting for your favorites. And the, the Golden Globes are kind of funny because I think people tend to take them less seriously. They are almost seen as like pre-Oscars because the Oscars just seem so much more, just so full of pomp and circumstance and the gowns and you know. And
0: well, they, they let them drink at the Golden
7: Globes. Do they? <laughs> that explains it. I had no, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, they are. They because they instead of sitting in in rows of seats, that's, they're just sitting at tables. That's right. They're they all, are at the
7: tables. Yes, yeah, so they're all. That's drinking. That's right. Uh, somebody actually wanted to go to the Oscar and be a seat filler like uh, Kramer did one year but uh, but I'm digressing anyways so yeah the Golden Globes always seem to be a little less serious but actually the fashion choices are going to have a very serious tone this weekend because a lot of a lot of stars are going to be wearing black in solidarity with the victims of sexual harassment of course this is all out of the Harvey Weinstein scandal everything that kind of snowballed from then and if you look really really closely on on some, some lapels you're going to see uh, people wearing pins okay they're they're black and then, and then white letters, they say Time's Up. Those were created by the Time's Up initiative. It was created on January 1st as a support of many prominent celebrities like Reese Witherspoon, Shonda Rhimes. You know, she created Grey's Anatomy and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other shows. And so uh, that initiative is actually raising funds to pay for legal support for those who have experienced sexual harassment, assault, or abuse in the workplace.
1: And several of the men, a lot of the men, mm-hmm. are pledging to wear all black as yes. well. So th- that, that uh, will be worthwhile to Tune in just to see that on its own, I think.
7: And and I love this, you know, and I hope that like with this seriousness, like something I don't like about the award shows, I I love the fashion, but I don't like the fashion police people because they're so mean. And I hope (laughs) that, you know, they're going to think twice about being mean this year. I'm hoping. It's not nice.
0: Well, maybe they'll be mean to the ones who aren't wearing black. Not because they're not wearing black, but, but if they're not, if they decided to not wear black and they're wearing some weird, strange design dress, I then know. I think that 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 is sort of fair game. I don't game.
7: know. I don't know. See that that's that's picking on too. Like I don't. I don't know. I think it's just. I think it's mean.
0: Mr. Blackwell's salivating, so...
7: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
11: Probably.
0: All right, Shanley Vidal, heard every day on the Shadow Davis Show, right after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB.
1: Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, it's the Shadow Davis Show, behind the glass Jerry, keeping track of the time, keeping us on task, and... Playing the music. I say that he spins the tunes, but he doesn't have any turntables. We, can we fix that? Can we get a little. <laughs> Vibe in here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah. do that on Fridays. Let, let, let's see. Let's see if they can get me some a uh, couple of turntables in here.
11: Yeah,
1: we, we can go hang out on Grosvenor and do a show underneath the uh, strobing LED streetlight. <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> right. Apparently, there are a few of those around town re, uh, that are uh, causing problems for for some folks. Uh, minus twenty three as we speak. Going to minus three on Sunday if the forecast high comes to be. It'll feel like summer. But Shadow Davis already has his eye on
2: mosquitoes. He has some news that indeed might bug you. Good morning. Mm, I don't really want to discuss this in January while we're all preoccupied with the cold and not thinking about summer whatsoever. Because let's face it, thinking about summer right now is simply torture. So we don't. But there is news from Winnipeg Insect Control warning about a possible increase in mosquito numbers this year now remember last year i think i had three mosquito bites all year there were barely any in my part of town could have been different in other parts of the city and outside of town but according to the numbers we all enjoyed a relatively low mosquito summer and let's face it makes a huge difference in our outdoor enjoyment not being attacked by squadrons of bloodthirsty little vampires just because you stepped on a tiny piece of grass Ah! Okay, our buddy Ken Nowalski with Winnipeg Insect Control says if the city does not receive additional funding prior to the 2018 season, the area larvicided outside of Winnipeg will be reduced from 10 kilometers to 8 kilometers to decrease costs. He says they'll come up 620 grand short. So with the reduced larviciding area, it could mean a larger mosquito population in the city, more notably in the outskirt communities and suburbs close to city limits. Now if you thought Winnipeg Insect Control just dealt with Winnipeg, you thought wrong. They've been larviciding in the RMs that surround the city, including East and West St. Paul, Springfield, McDonald and Tashay, for a few years now. And that had been paid for by the province, but now the province has cut or eliminated its insect control funding for those RMs. So this $620,000 needs to be made up by the city and the RM somehow, or... <laughs> they say they're also more concerned about West Nile virus becoming a bigger thing with this reduced funding. The province has responded saying, well, this new funding model will actually improve the fight against West Nile. Huh? They say only communities situated within a high or moderate risk zone with a sufficiently large treatment area will be eligible to receive funding as part of this program. This new funding model will also mean that some communities are now eligible for increased funding compared with previous years. The thing is, those zones change all the time depending on rainfall and wind patterns. Bottom line? I understand the province is making a concerted effort to reduce costs for all of us, for all Manitobans, to get that deficit under control and yada yada yada, but this is just one of those things you should never ever touch. An old saying from former Premier Gary Dewar, don't raise taxes and the price of beer in the same year. And I suppose we can add this one to the list, don't ever screw with our anti-mosquito funding ever lest you be eaten alive in an endless Manitoba meadow at dusk in July. Back to Mackling and McGarry.
1: Now, in addition to my property taxes, I pay, I think it's $50 a year for recycling and garbage pickup. I'm kind of okay with that because the system is very efficient. I never have more recycling or garbage than my containers will hold, so it's not really an issue for me. I pay on my sewer and water bill for water and sewer, regardless of whether the water goes through the sewer or not. If I water my lawn, that water I pay sewer charges on. Okay. If I put it in my swimming pool and it evaporates into the air, I pay sewer charges on that. But, you know, charge me 50 bucks a year for no mosquitoes, I'll pay it. Yeah. Charge me a hundred, I'll pay it. I think it's one thing that if we could put a definitive price on it that at x amount of dollars we would get a r- get rid of 95 of the mos- percent of the mosquitoes I think we'd all pay it happily and gladly $600,000 find the 600,000 if it's 5 million find it if you can do it if you can eradicate the the little
0: buggers then do it <laughs> do it Yeah, last summer was such a gift. I uh, I mean, we all know, we all remember summers that have been really bad. You know, you can't step outside for more than a second in the evening, uh, even during the day. I remember some years trying to golf, virtually impossible, uh, regardless of what time of day it was. Whereas last year, Shadow's right, it was barely noticeable. I think I remember one evening... Where the mosquitoes were kind of problematic. That's it. I don't want to go back. I don't want to take a step. Back. I don't want to go back either.
1: I used to have a snow clearing business once upon a time. Of course and, you did. And so and so, uh, you you'd charge by the month. And. So sometimes you'd go once, sometimes you'd go five times, sometimes you'd go not at all. Some customers would complain about paying for a month where we didn't come. Most of our customers said, though, I gladly pay your fee, and I don't care if you come or not. Because if you're not coming, it means we don't have any snow, and I'm quite okay with it. Yeah. I think I feel the same way about the mosquitoes, and I think most of us do.
0: Yeah, because eventually it, it'll... The money will be needed. Some years are going to be bad. Other years are going to be not so bad. Last year, we were lucky with the the way that the weather cooperated Mm -hmm. with us, but there are going to be years where the weather is going to be terrible, and it's going to create the conditions that are just perfect for mosquitoes to breed, and it's going to be bad. So we will need that extra money to deal with it when that time comes. Don't cut it. Double, triple it, quadruple it. You have my permission to do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Don't let the mosquitoes, don't let the mosquitoes back in through the door.
1: Beautiful music. Friday morning. Many of us, of course, celebrated Christmas last month, but for members of the Ukrainian community and I believe other communities
0: as well, we'll get the lowdown on this, that special day comes this Sunday. We wanted to learn more about Ukrainian Christmas and how some people might be celebrating. So we are fortunate to have someone here to tell us more. Oksana Melnik, a member of the Ukrainian community and a school teacher joins us now, live on 680 CJOB in studio. Oksana, welcome to our studio.
11: Thank you. Good morning.
0: Lovely to meet you. Now, is
1: Ukrainian Christmas a misnomer? Because I want to call it Orthodox Christmas. Uh, Maybe you could clarify that, me.
11: Actually, both ways are correct. You can say Ukrainian Christmas because the majority and amount of people in Ukrainian church, since Ukrainian culture and religion, it's very uh, close and it's all, you know, together. And uh, you can call it Orthodox Church because uh, Orthodox Church stayed on an uh, old Julian calendar. And that's what it is all about. Very often people wondering, like, what kind of Christmas can be two weeks after Christmas? But basically, it's same celebration, it's same occasion. It's nothing different. It's just because long time ago, uh, people counted days and minutes and hours, and they decided that they missed something. So they come up with... Um, New calendar, but basically it's same celebration. It's great holiday.
0: Is it rise at the same date every year, or does that change?
11: Yes, uh, in uh, Ukrainian culture, we celebrate Easter every time differently. Like every year, it's a different day because of you know really complicated system counting days. But Christmas is celebrated uh, exactly two weeks after uh, December twenty fifth on mm-hmm. January seventh. Every single year, it's same celebration on January 7th.
1: So explain to us what does Ukrainian Christmas look like? I've had the benefit of celebrating this in in my past, but for those that don't know what the celebration looks like, uh, tell us a little bit about the food and and some of the customs involved.
11: Um, I can say it's a lot of similarities to many Canadian families that celebrate Christmas here. It starts long before Christmas, of course, you have to get prepared. Uh, But there are quite a few differences. First of all, we don't do uh, gifts giving on uh, January 7th or January 6th on Christmas Eve. It's more about culture, more about family getting together, more about uh, singing carols, enjoying food, remember your uh, ancestors, remember your history, celebrating and appreciating what you you brought to these days from your heritage. And um, it starts on uh, January 6th. With a Christmas Eve Supper, which is called in Ukrainian Svyata Vecheria. Say the that again? Svyata Vecheria.
0: Svyata che- I, I need to write it down.
11: <laughs> <laughs> vecheria. Okay. And it exactly means uh, Christmas Eve Supper. Uh, Holy Supper, actually, I'm sorry, Holy Supper. And uh, it includes 12 meatless dishes because it's uh, Lenten dishes. That's what we honor. Um, Mother Mary, and, and uh, having this, such a hardship bringing, um, coming to Bethlehem and giving birth to Jesus. Uh, twelve meatless dishes celebrate uh, twelve apostles that were gathering at the table with Jesus Christ. We also, uh, I spent a fair amount of time teaching kids in Ukrainian heritage school. We also, uh, um, more from the Ukrainian uh, history, say that... Uh, 12 meatless dishes also symbolize 12 months of the year. So it can be both ways. Um,
1: and then what happens on Christmas Day? The uh, next day on the Sabbath?
11: Now, can I finish about Christmas oh, Eve supper? Because, no, oh, okay. we're not done yet. No, we're not done. me, I was getting hungry and yes, I thought we could uh, move on. <laughs> so again, 12 meatless dishes. And uh, after uh, Christmas Eve supper, the whole family gathers together to sing carols. Uh, Late at night and and in Winnipeg, uh, I'm a member of uh, St. Vladimir and Olga Catholic Church, we go for a special sermon, celebration of Christmas. Now, next day, it's uh, really, you know, compared to Christmas Eve supper, which is a very solemn, very uh, serious occasion to get together and celebrate your culture and heritage. Uh, January 7th, it's a very joyful celebration of Christmas because families visit each other, friends come over, uh, companies get together, and that's where the entire celebration starts. Because for Ukrainians, we start on uh, January 6th, and Christmas ends on January 19th, which is St. Jordan's Day, and there is even a saying, which I learned in Canada here in Winnipeg. Uh, St. Jordan's Day, it's called Yordan in Ukrainian. That's Water Blessing Day. And we say, after Yordan, we are done. <laughs> so two weeks of solid, really festive celebrations are over.
1: I had no idea that it lasted so long. Yes. N- now now I got to ask you, sure. this is all in good fun. Mm-hmm. Are, are you double dipping here? Did you celebrate Christmas on oh, December you do 25th? Know, <laughs> <laughs> did you
9: exchange um, gifts? Did you, did yes, you? Yes? yes,
11: when you become an immigrant, you know... How do you say, when you're in Rome, do us Romans do, right? <laughs> uh, yes, we celebrate uh, Christmas on Je- December 25th. Uh, even back in Ukraine, because my family is from Western Ukraine. It was uh, not really big celebration day, but it was a day that grandma would not allow any hard work around the house because it was a holiday. Um, yes, we do celebrate December 25th, and then it starts... I say on January 6th, I should probably start with December 25th, going all months long till January 19th.
0: So what kind of... Uh, so you meant you talked about the dinner that is served on uh, January 6th. Do you have dinner as well on January 7th?
11: Oh, yes. Yes, but then January 7th, every meat is allowed and dairy because, um, like I say, 12 meatless dishes, that's what is for Christmas Eve supper. But January 7th, all kind of food and festivities and celebrations and is allowed so it's it's really it's really great holidays to celebrate in Ukrainian community
1: now my ba- I have a baba who's a Ukrainian and and eating is a very important part yes, of, of the gathering right
11: yes when you don't eat you offend a member <laughs> of the family so like uh, uh, being, um, you know, lady of the house, <laughs> I'm very concerned when my guests not cleaning their plates completely, because if you don't eat half a dozen of holopchi, that means that it's not really good. So Right.
1: And in some cultures, in some cultures, it's offensive to clean your plate, to clear your plate, because you're telling your host that they haven't given you enough food. But in Ukrainian culture, it's the other way around.
0: If you yes. don't clear your plate, it means you haven't enjoyed it. Yes. Do, do you say Merry Christmas or do you have a different greeting?
11: Uh, you can't say "Merry Christmas" to someone who does not speak uh, English, right? So the greeting is "Christos Roshdayetsya," and actually, starting tomorrow, uh, we're going to greet each other in a with, to people who do speak Ukrainian "Christos which means "Christ is born." And uh, the answer to that is uh, "Slavite Yeho. let's glorify him because it's a great news. So we all will be saved. And that's how we greet each other throughout all the celebration of Christmas for two weeks.
1: Now, has this traditional sense of celebrating Ukrainian or Orthodox Christmas grown over the years? And since you've come to Winnipeg, have you sensed a, a greater and... In, in, sense of the community embracing this celebration. It feels as though, you know, with Remembrance Day and some of these other celebrations that uh, older people are worried about fading away, we're actually embracing these things even stronger now.
11: You know, if I may have to say something, I think God has really good plan for me because he brought me to Canada. And uh, when we moved to Canada in 2004, prior to moving to Canada, we lived in United States. I was really shocked, um, and it was a really good cultural shock because I saw even more Ukrainian things, even more Ukrainian celebrations and even more Ukrainian traditions and um, anything you call in Ukrainian culture that actually I saw growing back in Soviet Union, being celebrated by generations and generations of immigrants who brought it here, who had such a hard time keeping it alive and and, and enriching it. So I definitely cannot say that it's fading away. We have great tradition in the community. We continue old traditions and we create new ones, let's say. This year, uh, I'm not going to have my traditional Christmas Eve supper at home, but more than 60 people get together and uh, at one of the churches to, to eat together as a community, to carol, to celebrate. And there are so many events in the Ukrainian community to, to honor and celebrate this occasion that I definitely say it's growing and it's... It's stronger than ever. I would say every year it's stronger than than it I saw before.
0: Oksana Melnik is our guest, a member of the Ukrainian community and a school teacher talking about Ukrainian Christmas, which is this Sunday. And uh, thank you so much for coming in to tell us about this. And uh, happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas as well. Thank you so
11: much for having me. It was very exciting. And I'm happy to share what I know about Ukrainian Christmas with everyone. And Христос is
0: the only homeless shelter in Selkirk, Manitoba, has been forced to close its doors. St. Francis Place has not opened since January 1st due to a lack of volunteers. We are joined now by uh, Rene Gauthier. Or is it, or you know what, is it Renee or Rennie, Mr. Gauthier? That's Rennie. Rennie. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time on 680 CJOB. So uh, a lack of volunteers. What's What's happened here?
12: Well, what's happening is um, right now we're working with a team of nine uh, to cover um, 12 hours a day, evenings, and overnights, and we're running short of people because some of us are working uh, three nights and are looking at 36 hours and during a week, plus we have our other lives to live. So we're starting to burn out, and now we're opening up to the soccer City and there are uh, citizens to step up and give us a hand to keep their shelter open and we're looking for nine more volunteers and most of those we're looking for is ladies because we have ladies using the shelters so we need a man and a woman on, on shift when they are in the shelter.
1: Well, what kind of a commitment would this be? Uh, obviously, you just outlined what your current volunteers are working, and it's a uh, sounds like an onerous amount of uh, of hours, Rennie, but, but what would it be ideally if you had more volunteers coming forward?
12: Okay, but our shifts are our, in the evening. We uh, open the shelter at 7 o'clock at night, and that's when the, our guests come in to register between 7 and 9. Uh, if there's nobody in by 9 o'clock, we're closed for the rest of the night. And at 9.30, if we're still open, at 9.30, if we have a guest, we uh, say somebody comes in at 9.30 till 7.40 in the morning. So that's basically we have two chefs.
1: How many beds have you got? And and, and how many people do you serve? Is there a a large community that you're serving? Is it the same people every night? Give us an idea of of the, the part of your community and the homeless uh, community, or as uh, we prefer to say, people who are experiencing homeless, uh, what kind of numbers is this?
12: Okay, we, uh, we have six beds and it varies. And for the last, uh, from August to the September, uh, December, we've averaged 70, 50, basically 50 visits uh, a month. And some of those are repetition. We let the person stay in the shelter 30 days, uh, if he hasn't done a thing, right, to improve himself, find a job or get some housing and things like that, after 30 days, he has to leave the shelter and be out of the shelter for 40 days so we can uh, get other people to come in if it is required. So we have to put the onus on the, the homeless to help themselves as we will help them to find different organization in town to assist them.
0: Now, Rennie. I also understand that uh, that there are a lot of people who are using the the shelter as a hostel rather than uh, than a homeless shelter. Can you expand on that?
12: Yeah, uh, we've got uh, we had three young men come in this uh, this fall uh, using the shelter, and we ask, okay, so are you looking for a job? Are you looking for housing? No, we're just here to have fun, uh, and, and then after that, uh, we'll go home um that 's what they do, or people come in from Winnipeg to visit some of their children who are still in Zucker. Uh, and they stay at the, at the uh, shelter or people coming in from the north or different uh, basically we serve a big circle around here with the people that came in from blue here, up uh, broken head and, and and around to use our area, our shelter and they, sometimes they just come in here and to visit family or whatever, which means that they 're not homeless. But they use the shelter as a place for them to stay.
0: Do they have to? Do they have to pay when they come in if they're not using it uh, if they're not experiencing yeah. homelessness?
12: Well, they'll say, "Well, yeah, I'm hopeless homeless tonight." No, they don't pay. Okay, but I'm using the word hostile like you know it is. They come in and spend the night, or they leave the next morning, and some of them come back for the weekend. They're there for three nights, and then they're gone. Then they come back two, three months again. Uh, to do the same thing. So this is what we're saying is we're letting these people come in, and they're not for the homeless. You know, our place is for the homeless. It's not for other people to use it as a cheap hotel, a cheap room for the night.
1: So how do you sort that out? How do you uh, screen your clients uh, in a different fashion to prevent this from happening, Renny?
12: Well, the thing is we've got to take their word for it when they come in. And after a couple of nights, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we chit-chat with them and find out. And, and then we tell, well, this is not what we are. And technically, um, you know, they come back, you know, are we going to say no in this cold weather? No, we don't. In the summer, we probably will. But right now in the winter, because it's so cold, uh, we don't say no. Where do you get your funding, Renny? Uh, we do a fundraiser once a year in, uh, in September to, uh, support the San Francisco and the San Francisco is part of the, uh, our daily bread soup kitchen. Uh, so therefore we, the soup kitchen is more or less looking after to make sure that we, we have enough sufficient funds. And, uh, right now we're, we're doing okay. Uh, the city is helping us because the building that we're using, uh, belongs to the city and we're just renting it for them. So, uh, this keeps our costs down. Is
0: our daily bread soup kitchen still open?
12: Yes, we are. Yeah, we, uh, we're open uh, uh, six days a week, uh, Monday to Friday. And on Sundays, we do a brunch with different organizations from the city who come in and volunteer their time and uh, to uh, give them brunch to our, our guests.
1: This sounds like a full-time job on its own, Rennie. What, what else do you do? How do you, how do you look <laughs> after your family?
12: Well, unfortunately, I'm a widow, and my two girls are married, and i got two grandsons. Um, we we keep going, you know, we stay in base and, and things like that. And also the soup kitchen did the hamper drive for the city of Salt uh this year again. Uh, so therefore this is all underneath the umbrella of the, the soup kitchen.
0: And uh, Rennie, one more question here before we let you go. What has to happen to get this shelter back open?
12: We need nine more volunteers minimum to make it work. And I would say, 60% of that have to be females. So therefore we are within our legal way of it to protecting our guests and to protecting ourselves who volunteer that we have the male and female on board.
0: How do people, uh, most- how do people get involved if they wish to volunteer?
12: Well, right now, um, they, uh, they, they've been calling me and, uh, I tell them to go by the soup kitchen to pick up an application form and then we'll collect all the application form and we'll, uh, uh, interview them and show them what the shelter is all about, and explain all the rules and regulation. And we're probably going to do that before the end of January if we have enough volunteers.
1: Okay. Thanks, Renny. We appreciate this very much. Uh, happy New Year to you, and uh, we appreciate you allowing us to help you get this story up. Okay. Thank you so much for your time.
0: And Rennie, just to, it's a 368. Is it Jemima Street? Am I pronouncing that correctly?
12: Well, that's the soup kitchen, Jemima 368. The shelter is lo- located at 202 Christie
0: Avenue. Uh, but for, for anybody who wants to, to drop oh, yeah. by and fill out an application, where do they go? Yeah,
12: 368 Jemima.
0: Great. Okay, Rennie, thank you so much for this set. Once again, Rennie Gauthier, he runs a uh, shelter, St. Francis Place that has not been open yet this year or hasn't opened since January 1st due to a lack of volunteers. He is also the chairperson of our daily bread soup kitchen. On the northeast tip of North America, on an island called
6: Newfoundland,
4: there's an airport. It used to be one of the biggest airports in the world, and next to it is a town called Canada. Welcome to the rock if you come from away. You probably understand about a half of what we say. They say no man's an island, but an island makes a man. Especially when one comes from one like Newfoundland. Welcome to
6: the rock.
1: That is sound from Come From Away. Uh... New musical that is sweeping Broadway right now. It's been nominated for a Grammy in the Best Musical Theatre Album category. And the musical had its Winnipeg premiere yesterday at the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. We're very excited about this conversation. We've been very excited about this whole run since it was announced, Brett.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, and un- unfortunately, uh, we, our procrastination bit us because we were unable to get tickets for Come From Away because we waited a little too long. Typical Winnipeggers. Ah! We'll get it later. No, we paid for it. Uh, but hey, congratulations to the creators. We're so fortunate to have the creators of this wonderful production, Come From Away, here in studio, Irene Sankoff and David Hine. Welcome Thank to 680CJOP. You. Are you here for the, the whole duration of the, the production for this?
13: We uh, we want to be, uh, and unfortunately, uh, we have to go back for some Grammy-related events in New York, <laughs> so, as one does. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're here for as long as we can. And, okay. uh uh, and just loving, uh, see, I mean, it's all fresh for us. But and partially, it's uh, it's very strange bringing it back to the prairies. I'm, I'm from Saskatchewan originally, and uh, you know, came out here for the Winnipeg Folk Festival all the time. So it's very weird bringing your Broadway musical back uh, back home. Um, but also, it's really it's uh, it's just a joy seeing this new cast and and watching them play with it.
1: Why Royal MTC? How does Royal MTC gets this distinction of hosting this play that's still playing on Broadway?
10: Uh, Well, we needed to come back to Canada. We needed to share the story with Canadians because it is a Canadian story, and it is so rarely that we see ourselves reflected on the stage or on the screen, and I know when I was a kid, I was fascinated with Broadway musicals, I was fascinated with Hollywood musicals, and um, they weren't as accessible as I would have liked them to be, so it's just such a joy to us to be able to be here and share it.
1: Well, what a gift, and I think most people would think that based on The subject matter, that 9-11 was something that you two experienced either in Newfoundland and Labrador or somewhere else in Canada, but that's not the case. You were elsewhere.
13: Yeah, we were actually living in New York uh, at the time. My cousin was in the towers, but fortunately got out uh, and but there's a, there's a lot of that that come that fuels the show. You know, there was so much kindness in New York at the time. You could reach out to anyone on the street. We actually lived in this residence for international students, so we were in this international community of people from all around the world, all supporting each other. So when we heard the story of what happened out in Newfoundland, there's a lot of it that resonated with us, and so uh, we ended up traveling out there for the 10th anniversary and. Hearing like just countless stories, we talked to everyone we could, uh, you know, and every story was this amazing. Um, you know, people reaching out to strangers from around the world, welcoming into their halls and their homes, and giving them everything, and. Uh it reminded us of our experience in New York, mm-hmm. and it was—it's this great story of like hope in the shadow of this this terrible. Well, tragedy. it was
10: something that got overshadowed, you know, justifiably with the grief and the sadness and the and the fear. But I remember being in Newfoundland and being like, oh my gosh, wait a minute—we were all huddled together, and someone pulled out a piano that very evening and started playing music. And I just started to remember again the kindness on the street, and one night going to the subway and being afraid—it was my first night out. But like everyone was lining the streets, holding candles and suddenly I felt safe. And so I was like, okay, you know, it's important to remember that too.
0: Well, Irene, for those who are unfamiliar with Come From Away as a production, what is the story that you are telling in this show?
10: It's a story about 38 planes that were diverted to this tiny town in Newfoundland, Gander, Newfoundland. And the population of Gander at the time was about 9,000 and uh, nearly 7,000 people came off the planes. And not only did they allow people off the planes and into the airport, they brought them into their schools and their public halls, they canceled school, and then they said, "You know what? That's not good enough. You're, however, 80 years old. You're pregnant. You don't look comfortable. Come home with us, and you can stay on our guest bed or in our bed, and we'll stay on the couch." And it's just story that still astounds me to this day.
1: Newfoundland and Labrador, is so famous for its hospitality, whether you meet a Newfoundlander who lives in Newfoundland or lives somewhere else, lives abroad, so to speak. Uh, one of my best friends is from Newfoundland and his sense of hospitality is, is second to none. And my favorite Newfoundland saying has to do with uh, peeling the potatoes and, and the one for the extra. Yeah. There were lots of extras. Have you ever heard that
10: no, one before? No, I hadn't heard that one. You know one, what? Yeah, one
1: heard. for the extra. So there were lots of extras,
13: uh, lots of extra potatoes being peeled uh, in Gander. For how many days did this take place? So it was over five days. There was, uh, some people left a little bit earlier, and uh, but over those five days, uh, yeah, people made lifelong friends. And, uh, it's really, you know, we think about the weather outside right now. We, we attribute uh, what happened out there because there's this whole community... Uh, idea of like staying warm during the winter. And so everyone comes over to kitchens and does kitchen parties and tells stories and sings songs and brings an instrument. And that's how you stay warm through the winter. And that's what we wanted to do on stage. We wanted to do this sort of kitchen party. So you stay warm through the winter. So it feels very apropos to be doing that right now in Winnipeg.
0: So Dave, when you uh, wrote this production, when you put it together uh, back in, I guess, 2012, was it? Uh, when did you first create it?
13: Yeah, well, we went out to the tenth anniversary in two thousand eleven, uh, and then uh, the first workshop was uh, January twenty twelve. So, so it's been uh, five five years from. Six years, six, six years, it's 2018, on. happy 2018, <laughs> everyone. <All right.
1: laughs> well, you guys have been really probably doing nothing but work, right, for the, for the last handful of years to, to make this a reality. What was, the, what was the reaction to this idea of a couple Canadians bringing a Canadian story to Broadway? Like uh, the audacity of you two, how, how, did it, how did it get from there to here?
13: Our, our our favorite reaction story was was doing a, doing an interview out when at tenth anniversary we took a tour of the airport in Gander and Reg Wright who's the manager there he gave us this huge three hour uh, uh, tour throughout and afterwards he said now what are you doing and we said well we're making a musical he's like about about people you know making sandwiches and we said yeah and he's like yeah good luck with that. <laughs> You've got the accent down suddenly
1: and perfectly, David. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and our guests in studio are Irene Sankoff and David Hine. They are the creators, the Canadian creators of Come From Away, a musical which is a really hot ticket, particularly right now in Winnipeg at Royal MTC, the Tony Award winning production. Sold out all month. Greg and I tried to get tickets, but we tried a little too late, and now we're sad. Yeah, because but you know we're dumb, so that's okay. But some twenty thousand plus people will enjoy this wonderful show. Tony nominated, Irene. Uh, it's been I saw that in twenty uh, last year was nominated at the seventy first Tony Awards for best musical, best score, best book of a musical, and uh, eventually it won for best direction of a musical. That's you know when you when you start uh, writing a show. Do you do you kind of hope? Well, well, maybe we'll get to the Tonys, or do you ever dream of that? Like, kind of fantasize about that?
10: It's actually kind of funny. David has an old song of his that says, "And uh, and we might get a Tony if we get to Broadway." And it was always like it was a huge joke. Like, so it, it uh, yeah, we hope the show would be done in high schools because kids would be forced to do it because it had Canadian <laughs> content and there was a lot of characters. <laughs> so um, we're we're doing okay. We're we're pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So when you look at the journey, what was the what was the part of the journey to, to getting to here that, that surprised you the most on, on the negative side? Uh, was there anything that, that took you by surprise in terms of maybe how you were treated at, at a certain turn, or, or has it just been one of those magical rides from concept to fruition?
10: You know, I I do wish you could trade Diet Coke for sleep, and like but it just doesn't work that way. Like, I mean, I that was, I mean, it's so, not, everyone's tired. That's not even a thing to be complaining about at all, but Really, we were treated so so very well the entire time, and and you know we kept waiting almost a little bit for the other shoe to drop because you know I don't know because maybe that's just the way I am, but it, it, but it, it, we really have had like a bit of a magical ride. Aside from being tired, no complaints. Yeah.
13: This
1: is the case sometimes of like you're careful what you wish for.
13: <laughs> oh my God! It's been—I mean—it's amazing. We never wished for this, right? Like Irene, Irene, Irene's, Irene's uh, telling the truth. Like we—we we never imagined it would. Every single day has been a surprise for us. You, you know, we—I mean, going to Broadway is enough. And then three days later, the prime minister comes, and then—and then you, you know. Michael J. Fox and Cindy Crawford and like it's it's uh and then uh, and then uh, we have this wonderful thing uh, where uh, people will come to the show and then they want to bring their family or their friends together and uh, to back to see the show with them and the best case scenario of that was Chelsea Clinton coming to see the show, and then she was like, "I got to bring my folks, and then she brought her folks. It was really cool <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I do have to speaking of folks, I have to ask you about this <laughs> My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding.
1: I knew you were going to ask about this. Well, how can yeah. I
13: not? That's such a fun title. So, can you uh, please tell us about that? Uh, so it's another true story. Uh, uh, this is uh, It's about my mom. It was our, our first musical that we wrote together uh, so that we could spend time together. Uh, and uh, it's about how uh, my mom came out to me when I was a teenager, how she uh, came out to her mother, how she uh, rediscovered her Jewish faith uh, and fell in love with a Wiccan woman and, uh, and got married. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lovely love story, and uh, and we uh, we put it on in the Fringe in Toronto, and it got picked up by the Mervishes and. Suddenly, we like really we we never saw each other, so we started writing together so we could hang out. And suddenly, suddenly we're spending twenty four seven together, and uh, it's the best thing that ever happened.
1: In, in a country where sometimes we describe ourselves uh, most proudly as being not American, and we like to uh, you know beat uh, Team USA on the hockey ice, and in a lot of variety of different uh, areas in sport, we've taken over Hollywood to a, a great extent with our with our uh, comedy and but uh, the relationship between Canada and the United States uh, really is a very special one and, and very much highlighted in this story.
10: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, it's a, the same thing with our producers who are from the States, are Broadway producers, and they took the relationship very seriously as well. I mean, as soon as they came on board or they brought us on board to produce it, I'm not sure how it actually works, but anyway, <laughs> they were like, we have to go out to Gander. So we went out to Gander with our producers and with our director and and were there for about a week uh, immersing ourselves in what it was like to be out there and talking to as many people as we could and that's continued all the way along in terms of um, them really respecting. Like you know, we we need the show to be in Canada. Uh, we, we'd love to do a show in the hockey rink so that we could share it with Gan- the Gander residents themselves because they're not probably going to come to Broadway. And so you know, we, there was a there was a uh, there was a Broadway production in the Gander Community Center hockey rink because they made it happen. Yeah. So it's, it's a continuation of that.
13: Well, and then this is a continuation of that. Is you know uh, the the second company. I mean, this is a the, the first time a show gets another company is a huge big deal and. Uh, and uh, to have them, uh, you know, it was just so obvious that it was Canadian and that it had to be come back to Canada and to celebrate, uh, you know, what's happened about this uh, about this story being celebrated on a world scale. It's really cool.
0: Well, and I see that you're uh, getting ready for a, to launch another production in, uh, in Toronto at Royal Alexandra theater is this going to be the the company that's pre- performing here in winnipeg or is it
13: yeah so it's the winnipeg company that's going to travel there and uh yeah it's great and then uh, we have a, a national uh, north american tour um happening in the fall of 2018 that's going to be traveling all over and going to other parts of canada as well
1: yeah uh, what strikes me about you is that you, you you're still very humble in this <laughs> success that has found you and uh, how, how, do you, how do you keep your feet on the ground
10: uh, it's our daughter really helps a lot. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a time when Trudeau and um, his wife and and Ivanka Trump and various other. Uh, important people came to the show, I I went to bed that night thinking, I do not want to look at social media tomorrow morning. And I didn't have to because our daughter woke up and she had uh, all this gunk in her eyes and she was like, <laughs> I can't open my eyes. And I was like, oh God. So I dealt with pink eye all day instead of uh, social media. <laughs> so
0: okay. it's not always as glamorous as it
1: looks.
10: Oh, oh God!
0: No. <laughs> well, Irene Sankoff and David Hine, we'd like to con- continue our chat, but we are out of time. The creators of Come From Away, Broadway musical, Play at Royal MTC sold out production for the next month congratulations on all your success thank you so thank much thank you I'm Brett McGarry he's Greg Mackling thanks to Shanley Vidal and Behind the Glass Jerry and thank you for listening to The Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB The Start On Demand is available
2: on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts